Hello and welcome to another edition of the Reptile Living Room. This is a special report today. Today we are talking with none other than Dr. DeRissi, the Howard Hughes Medical Investigator and Postdoctoral Fellow, Mark Stengline. These gentlemen recently published a paper on August 14th titled Identification, Characterization, and In Vitro Culture of Highly Divergent Arenaviruses from Boa Constrictors and Annulated Tree Boas, Candidate Etiological Agents for Snake Inclusion Body Disease. Now, some reporters took liberty with that paper. Uh, one such journalist, quote, So far the disease seems to be restricted to captive snakes, but some scientists are worried that the release of captive bred or rehabilitated snakes might unwillingly unleash this devastating virus into the wild. Steinglein and Dr. DeRissi actually have a different opinion on that. So, without further ado, here is Dr. DeRissi, Howard Hughes Medical Investigator, and postdoctoral fellow Mark Steinglein to give the truth behind the paper that was actually written. We are on the line with Mark Steinlin, and that's uh, the postdoctoral fellow and uh, Dr. Drissi, uh, Howard Hughes Medical Investigator. And recently, you gentlemen published a paper called The Identification Characterization and In Vitro Culture of Highly Divergent Arena Viruses from Boa Constrictors and Annulated Tree Boas. Candidate, candidate etiological agents for snake inclusion body disease. Now, the reason that I asked you gentlemen to be on the show today was basically there was a, shall we say, couple of journalists that seemed to have taken liberty with some of the paper's information. There was a portion in there that said something about relation to Ebola. That's right. And the way it came out, to the reptile community anyway, it basically looked was made to appear as great here we go again now the media is after us they're going to start saying that you know our snakes are going to cause ebola viruses and you know we're going to get you know basically every snake known to mankind is going to be banned in the captive environment so (laughs) it tends to over sensationalize things very definitely shame that they took that tact right that's not the intended purpose here at all right now what um so basically i guess the best place to start is with Larry the Snake, I guess, was how this all got started? Yeah, so Larry is where this all starts. We had previously been working on a disease called PDD in parrots, macaws, and cockatiels, okay. yet another sort of mysterious fatal disease. And when we'd solved that one, the cause of that one's called avian bornavirus, mm-hmm. we got a letter very soon afterwards from a domestic uh, boa constrictor owner named uh, Taryn Hook, and mm-hmm. her snake, Larry... Uh, she professed her the, the importance of her uh, pet snake to her, and she wanted us to be aware of this disease called inclusion body disease in snakes, mm-hmm. especially boas, and said, look, this is a big problem in the domestic snake owner population as well as zoos and aquariums. Would you please look into this? Right. And actually, to be honest, I didn't give it much thought. I, I um, hadn't known about the disease and didn't pay much attention. Mm-hmm. But I ended up did calling her veterinarian, a guy named Chris Sanders down here in California, and Chris said, yeah, this is a big deal. IBD is, in fact, a pretty important disease in BOAs, and it's a shame it hasn't been solved in so many years. Right. So it was around that same time, incidentally, that the Steinhardt Aquarium here, uh, uh, which is part of the California Academy of Science, has a wonderful reptile collection was having uh, a bit of a problem with inclusion body disease and had sent several samples for um, uh, histopathology Mm -hmm. to be diagnosed, and they were indeed 
IBD positive. And I'm sure, as you know, if you're an aquarium or a zoo, the only action that's acceptable when you get positive IBD snakes is to euthanize them all. Right. Because the risk of spreading to the rest of the collection is just too profound. Right, exactly. And so that's what they were faced with, and they did euthanize those snakes. And we were able to obtain tissue samples from both uh, healthy snakes and uh, diseased snakes that were confirmed by pathology to have inclusion body disease. Uh, this is where Mark comes in, and Mark did the uh, analysis on these samples. And uh, Mark, want to chime in on what you did with the tissue samples? Yes, so basically what I did is took these tissue samples that had been frozen from these snakes with and without IBD and uh, subjected them to our sequencing uh, uh, protocol, which basically means that we sequence everything that's in these samples. Uh, so what, what we're looking for is evidence of an infection, whether that be a virus or a bacteria or anything like that. And so we're just doing that in an unbiased fashion by determining the genetic material of everything that's in those samples. That makes sense. Now, as far as how how did the how did the Ebola virus come into this, or in relation to it, or what have you, that's got everybody running scared now from the reptile community? Analysis of the of the virus that came out of Mark's sequencing project was um, really fascinating. Basically, it uncovered a new arena virus. Arena viruses prior to this are only known in rodents, and they're of they're frankly they're a select agent and a bioterrorism concern. And that is because they can be transmitted from rodents to humans in certain cases and cause hemorrhagic fever. Now, that in itself is an interesting fact. The second thing that was interesting is that the coat protein of this arena virus that we found in snakes was not like arena virus at all, but in fact was most similar to Ebola virus. And close inspection of that protein does reveal that those lineages, Ebola virus and the snake arena virus, are in fact evolutionarily connected. Does it mean this snake virus is like Ebola and can be transmitted from snakes to humans? Absolutely not. In fact, there's no evidence to date that we are aware of or has been published in any way that owners of snakes that have IBD have ever gotten sick. And certainly veterinarians who handle the snakes and necropsy snakes with IBD have also never gotten sick. And so we believe that the species barrier, that is the barrier for the virus to jump from a snake into a human, is very, very steep or maybe even impossible. Uh, we have further evidence of this because we actually tried to infect a variety of different cells. You know, mm -hmm. these are not animals, but cells grown in dishes. Right. Um, from various different creatures. We mm -hmm. tried uh, monkey kidneys. We tried iguana, viper, uh, and so on. And none of these could be infected. Oh, wow. The only thing, the only thing that could be infected by the virus that we recovered from the California Academy of Science snakes was, in fact, boa constrictor cells themselves. And so when we took boa constrictor kidney cells from a dying snake, actually Chris Sagner's personal snake dying of lymphoma, he Ugh. sacrificed it, and we were able to uh, essentially grow its kidney cells in dishes seemingly indefinitely now. Okay. We were able to infect those cells with the arena virus, and it grew quite robustly. And more importantly, in those cells, the infection recapitulated the classic cytoplasmic inclusions that are the hallmark of this disease. And so uh, it did two things. First of all, it lended 
lot of evidence that this is in fact etiological agent. And second, uh, it showed us that yes, the virus does grow in boa, but as of yet, it doesn't grow in anything else. Okay. So I want to be absolutely clear: there doesn't appear to be any risk to owners of snakes or veterinarians handle them from this virus. Right. Exactly. And that was, uh-huh. Just to, to, to hammer home the point a little more further. The, a, a sort of a phylogenetic analysis of this virus, which means you see how it's related to everything else in evolution, right. shows that this guy is really, really old. It's likely to be a very ancient lineage of the virus. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. In fact, you know, it's, it is, it's plausible, and of course we can't prove this, but sure. it's plausible that this lineage of the virus existed way back into the dinosaurs. Wow. And that, in fact, perhaps the rodent versions, that they're actually the scary ones, are the ones in rodents. Right. The, the ones in rodents today may be a, an ancient, ancient offshoot from the ones in snakes, perhaps millions of years ago. Wow. Very and interesting. So it's, it's important for your audience to know that they shouldn't fear their snakes. They shouldn't um, be afraid of handling a snake with IBD. There's nothing to suggest that it could be transferred. Right. Now, there are many, many important uh, questions raised by this research, but the most immediate benefit of this research, which is going to be huge, vastly important for the reptile-owning community, Mm -hmm. is it now provides a way to do a diagnostic, a molecular diagnostic that's non-invasive, not like a liver biopsy, and that's cheap and fast, that will basically allow aquariums, zoos, domestic breeders, and so on, to control and perhaps eradicate this disease from at least the captive community. Really? Without a doubt. Wow. So okay. I, <laughs> I think you just got everybody's attention. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, I, and I can't in, uh, emphasize that more, right? This is the tool that has been missing for a long time. And with this tool in hand, now, for example, if you're at an aquarium like the California Academy and you bring in a new a new snake into your collection, instead of having to put it in quarantine for months and months and doing liver biopsies and potentially other dangerous things to the snake, right. and then, even then, you might not even know if the snake is infected and will bring it in. Uh, you can do a quick molecular diagnostic and cheaply and quickly find out if it has IBD or not. That is, does it have the snake arena virus? And if it does, you can remove that snake from the collection. It's literally going to save... You know, I can't predict the number, but who knows how many snakes it will save. But it will save snakes' lives. Right, right. Now, something that one of the journalists put out there, and this is a direct quote, it says, So far the disease seems to be restricted to captive snakes, but some scientists are worried that the release of captive-bred or rehabilitated snakes might unwillingly unleash this devastating virus into the wild. Yeah, that's hilarious. Okay, (laughs) please expand on that one. (laughs) The, The reason why... That's super funny. Is because it it's it's born out of ignorance about how viruses work and um, ecology of viruses. And and what I'm I'm going to say may surprise you. Uh, guess what? The virus is already out there in the wild. It is. Yes. This didn't come in just randomly into the captive population. These these viruses are going to be in wild uh, snakes without a doubt. And. What's, what's probably even more probable, although we obviously don't have evidence for this yet, is that the family of arenaviruses that are in reptiles is probably much, much larger. This is the tip of the iceberg. And 
what and it's likely that there are different kinds of marine viruses and different snakes and even lizards and other reptiles. That this this is an evolutionary little signpost that we just found, and what it's saying is, look, here's a whole other um, you know part of the family tree of arena virus, and just because you found it in this one captive, basically points the way. These are going to be in wild snakes without a doubt. Wow. Okay. Because this is something that the reptile community for past 20 plus years that we've even known about it, his thought was only in captivity. Well, only in captivity because no one can... The bottom line is the field studies aren't there to, to go get snakes that are sick, right? Right, exactly. Good point. Become symptomatic in the field are likely to die very quickly. Wow. Well, because if you're, you know... You don't get the sort of care and love out in the wild that you get in a captive snake. You know, if you have neurological symptoms and you're a snake in the wild, you're probably dead meat. Right, you're going to get eaten faster than somebody else would. It's just evolution, you know, at work. Exactly, and so, and and the fact is that older snakes and perhaps that we don't even know the full range of species that can get arenaviruses and reptiles, perhaps can be asymptomatic for a long period of time while still shedding virus. In fact, the route of transmission is something that we need to nail down, and we haven't done yet. But it's likely to be, you know, it could be um, oral fecal, it could be uh, blood-borne, it could be arthropod-borne, we don't know. But what this says to us, and the ancientness of this lineage of virus, says that they've been around a long, long time. One, one, uh, one uh, expert on phylogeny of these viruses, one of our colleagues, actually said, uh, we're not talking, you know, um, uh, you know, millennia ago or something. We're talking geologic time. Wow. <laughs> Old viruses. Whoa, that's incredible. Now, what we're what we're planning to do, and what we're actually actively engaged in, is setting up field studies. Uh, uh, well, actually, we're we're going to collaborate with folks who are, are engaged in field studies, who are uh, putting together collections from around the world, and we're going to launch a much larger survey into the into the reptile kingdom of what the true family history of these viruses are. Uh, and the other thing we're going to do, and we would love the reptile community to get in touch with us on this part. Is oh wow! If if, if your snake has been diagnosed with IBD by a veterinarian, contact us. Okay. One of the important things for us to do and to establish that quick, easy, cheap diagnostic is to have as many examples of IBD-infected snakes as possible. We will actually do the diagnostic we in our lab and figure out if it has the arenavirus or not. For anyone that has a biopsy-positive IBD snake whose vet can send a sample, and we can pay for shipping. Okay. And just to um, make it easier on you folks, what I'll do is I'll put a link in the show notes to my personal e- uh, to the email address to the show, and that way, if someone does you know have a, a case that you might be interested in, what I will do is forward that information on, and that way you don't get caught up in spam and all the rest of it. That'd be great. And anybody who sends us, you know, uh, who's, who works with us, and their veterinarian can send a sample and so on, all that information essentially makes the prospective diagnostic we're talking about cheaper, 
better, more accurate, and gives us a better picture for what's really out there. So they'd be helping the whole snake community. Right. Exactly. No, I definitely agree. Now, um, Mark, how long did it take to, you know, how long did the study go on? Uh, so the study actually began in uh, the middle of 2009. Wow. And... Um, that's when the the snakes were diagnosed with as, as being IB, IBD positive at the California Academy, mm-hmm. and then um, the the a previous postdoc named Amy Kistler worked on the project for a while, but unfortunately the technology was not quite uh, ready to make the progress that was necessary, and that technology has really only existed for a year or two. This sequencing technology that I referred to previously. Mm-hmm. So it was really about uh, October last year where we got we did the sequencing project that I described, where we identified the virus, and then the bulk of the work on this project has been going on basically since uh, October or November of last year. So it's been going on for about a year that we've been almost going on a year that we've been really like that we've really been pushing hard on this. Right, right. Now, where where does this research, or where do you see this research going in the future outside of, um, you know, eradicating IBD? What other, do you see yourself going into uh, more arenavirus research in reptiles as a whole, or are you guys looking for more of a, a human aspect to the molecular studies that you guys are doing? Well, I think that, as you suggest, discovery really opens up uh, the door to a lot of being able to ask a lot of really interesting basic biology questions related to the the way that these viruses work mm-hmm. and the way that they may make snakes sick, uh, what we call their mechanism of pathogenesis. How how do they make the snakes sick? How do they, how do they grow in cells? Why... Why might they grow in boa constrictors but not in viper cells? Things like that. So really, we think that this discovery will allow us to understand a lot about the way that these viruses and other related viruses, the other arena viruses, work. And that's that's going to be a really great um, avenue of research going forward. I'll chime in. Yeah, I'll chime in and just say it also. Um, I'll provides a, a, a really solid example, a solid example of how two different families of viruses may have evolved. That is the phyloviruses, which include and arena. And, you know, the evolution of these viruses from, you know, from whence they came, what were their common ancestors way back in geologic time? Those are hard questions to answer unless you have examples of the different lineages. And here, for the first time, you have this ancient lineage which points to the fact that Ebola and Arena were probably one common ancestor way back in time. Uh, and it also highlights a, a whole bunch of other interesting questions about the immune system, about the kinds of proteins these things combined and the diseases they cause, as well as ecological questions like, did the rodent viruses originally come from the snake viruses or not? I mean, obviously snakes eat rodents. It's right. easily that the snake transmitted to growth. That, of course, we don't have to show that. Uh, and so these kinds of questions are now you know, ready to be answered and ready to be attacked. Man, that's, I'm really glad you guys came on the show to you know, basically inform people and you know, let them know, know this is actually a good thing and that journalism just you know, 
as typically is the case, went astray with it and <laughs> went on a whole other tack. Yeah, no, no, I should say that real dynamic range of the kinds of journalism that's out there, and that some of the stories that were out there, like the NPR Morning Edition stories and stuff, that those were really solid and really clean and, and didn't have any uh, over-interpretation. Right. But, and, and then we also did a podcast uh, yesterday on, you know, This Week in Virology, which was a really sort of hardcore, you know, science, stick-to-the-facts kind of really good stuff. Oh, okay. And so, you know, there is really good journalism out there. Right. It's fortunate that some of the more popular stuff that gets onto the Google News and so on... Exactly. ...sensationalizes it. But um, my website has, uh, not only has the paper, which anyone can read without having to subscribe to anything, it's an open access paper, yes. but it has a fact, has a frequently asked questions. Okay. And a lot of the things we just talked about are on that fact, on my homepage. Oh, okay. Very good. And I will actually put uh, a link in the show notes to your homepage, as a matter of fact. And uh, anything you'd like to add before we uh, wrap up the show today? One other thing I'd like to add is, you know, IBD is an important disease, but it is one of many. And there are other kinds of infectious diseases that are still of unknown cause in a variety of different uh, creatures, not just reptiles and snakes but birds and uh, small mammals and so on. And we are interested in all of these. We're basically interested in infectious disease for which no one's been able to figure out what the deal is. So I'd just like to put out that uh, that little um, plug, if you will, that sure. people have cases and they talk to their veterinarian, you know, let them contact us. us because oftentimes, if, it, if, the, if it's a real deal, we can go after it and really make an impact, such as what has been done here. That's awesome. Any uh, final thoughts there, Mark? Uh, I just would like to, you know, thank you for inviting us on to have the opportunity to clear, you know, reassure the community and explain our research because, like you said, we think this is a, really a positive thing and not something to be um, just. It's, it's something that should be viewed positively, positively, in our opinion. Yes, very definitely. And so there you have it, folks. That was Mark Stenglein, postdoctoral fellow, and Dr. Derisi, the Howard Hughes medical investigator that uh, published the paper. Uh, once again, there will be links in the show notes so everybody can check out the original paper as it was written. And uh, do check out our sponsor, uh, Herpeticulture House Magazine. That's uh, herpehousemag.com. And, of course, uh, the show notes will also include links to Dr. Derisi's homepage as well as herpehousemag.com so you guys can all jump in and subscribe. And we will see you next week right here in the Reptile Living Room.